Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's good to be back with y'all. I know we have some anointed men of God, pastors and leaders that have poured into you over the last couple of services and so thankful for our team. So thankful for Pastor Chris and Pastor Caleb and their gifts. And I know that they were a blessing to you while we were away. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, very familiar verse, passage. Out of the New King James, I'm reading verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, typically when we read this verse or go through this verse, we focus and highlight and emphasize the second verse, not being conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, we talk a lot about until you think it, you can't live it, right? Your, your life goes in the direction of your thought life. And so uh, we usually focus on that. And then we love the end of it. We want to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If I've been asked once, I've been asked a million times as a pastor, how can I know the will of God, the will of God? But I want to focus on verse one, because I think verse one uh, is, is the answer or the anecdote to discovering the will of God. And he says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, holy, acceptable to God, and this is your reasonable service. Many times we're more focused on obtaining the will of God rather than laying down the will of man. We put more emphasis on knowing the will of God But it seems that until we meet the prerequisite of laying down our will, we cannot effectively take up his will. Verse 1 precedes verse 2. And the laying down of ours comes before the taking up of his, the knowing of his, the revealing of his, the recognizing of his. And so we actually see that there's a contrast between these two verses because uh, one of them is is helping me walk in the perfect plan of God. That's what we mean when we say the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? When we ask that question, we're usually asking it in line with who am I supposed to marry? Am I supposed to have this job? Where am I supposed to live? How many kids should we have? You know, we're, we're asking the what's the will of God? And then we usually want to meet a specific 
uh, standard or a specific condition that the will of God will help us uh, recognize or reveal in our life. But ultimately what he's saying is, is you walk out the perfect plan of God when you first lay aside your plan. You first lay aside your agenda. And so what he's showing us is the battle, or I guess I could even say the hindrance to discovering the will of God is ours. That's the hindrance. That's, that's really the struggle we are all in. I, I want to tell you tonight that the devil, he's not your problem. The enemy's not your problem. Y'all should be more excited about that than, than, than you're letting on right now because you've been blaming the devil for a lot of stuff. And I know that he's, I know he's working, and I know that he's a deceiver, and I know that he's a liar, and, and I know that the Bible says he's a thief, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I tell you what, he's working mightily in those three things in the earth today. He's been doing it from the beginning. He's still doing it today. He's never going to stop until he's finally put away. That's what he does. But I want you to know as a believer, as brethren, in the family of God, as a child of God, as a citizen in the kingdom of God, as royalty in the palace of God, he can't touch you. He can't touch you where you don't let him. He can't touch you where you don't give him access. The Bible tells us do not give a, a hold or do not give place to the devil. Do not let him in. That's all up to us. The devil's not your problem. I want to tell you tonight, sin's not your problem. It's been defeated. It's been whipped. It's been overcome. The Bible tells us in Romans earlier on, he tells us, do not be any longer held in bondage or slavery to sin. You rule over sin. You take authority. You take control over sin. You don't have to give in to that. It doesn't have to overcome you and overtake you. You don't have to give in to every temptation that comes along. No. That's not the life of the believer. There's a process to that. It's not just overnight, but you got to make the decision in your mind. I'm not going to live bound by this anymore. And I'm not going to live in a, in a manner, in a way that demonstrates that the devil just has any way in any place in my life that he, that he wants. That he can just have a way with my mind or have a way with my thoughts, have a way with my behavior, have a way with my attitudes, have a way with my He doesn't have that access in my life. You should live every day with that mindset. Amen. Sickness and disease are not your problem. Jesus dealt with it on the cross. If he took your spiritual salvation, he also took your physical salvation in the form of releasing you and relieving you of sickness and disease and its control over your life. By the stripes on his back. And he doesn't need to go back and do it over again. He doesn't need to shed any more blood. He wasn't an ounce short. He wasn't a drop short. It's all been done. It's been paid for. It's over. No, these aren't your enemies. These aren't your challenges. The challenge for the believer is himself. The challenge for the believer is a nature that's contrary to God. The challenge for the believer is that your spirit is saved at salvation. The challenge for the believer is that your soul is being saved. By the renewing of your mind. 
The challenge for the believer is that your flesh will never be saved. Will never be saved. Some of us have been trying to save our flesh for 30 years and you're fighting a lost cause. It ain't gonna happen. It won't happen. It's the battle of your will. It's the battle of flesh versus spirit. It's the battle of God's plan versus your plan. The battle of God's idea versus man's idea. It's the battle of God's intentions versus man's, like we just sang. Let us become more aware. Why? Because I'm trying to get myself to think on the line that my spirit is already at. I said, I'm trying to get myself to think on the level that my spirit, your spirit isn't being saved. It is saved. It's done. Over. It's the last drop is you are as saved spiritually as you will ever be. You are as righteous spiritually as you will ever be. There's no act, no work, no performance, no approval, no, no value that you can add that will get you any more saved than, the, than you were the day you laid your life down. But now I have to grow into that. Now I have to become more familiar with who I am in the spirit than who I was in the flesh. I have to be more familiar with my future in the kingdom of God than my past in the kingdom of the world. That's up to me. What am I locking in on? So he says, offer your bodies. That's the flesh. It's the nature as living sacrifices. Now, sacrifices have been given to God from the beginning of time. And sacrifices were given to God before they were a command of God. Yeah. Man was offering sacrifices to God before he was told. It was a natural response for man. Abel said, I've got to offer God, and not just any sacrifice, the best I have, the best I've got. And over time, we began to dilute it. In fact, you know, Abel's brother Cain decided that he would give God less than best and then got jealous of Abel's response from God and ultimately killed his brother Abel because his sacrifice didn't measure up or didn't value the way that Abel's was. Well, Abel gave for a position of, I want God to have my best. Cain said, I just want God to have something. That's a dangerous way to live because he even qualifies the standard of sacrifice. He says a living sacrifice is the first qualifier. So not a dead sacrifice. He says a holy sacrifice, not an unholy sacrifice. And acceptable sacrifice, not an unacceptable. See, God is not obligated to receive just whatever we give him. I know sometimes we get in that position where we think, well, it's all I got. This is all, this is all I have, God. You just, you, you just take it. At least I'm giving you the last 10 minutes of the day. At least, at least I'm giving you the, the last $20 I have. At least I'm, no, God, God is saying there's a, there's a qualifier to what I accept. So if there's an acceptable to God, then there's also unacceptable come on now i didn't write it he wrote it it's in his book present your bodies a living sacrifice holy to god acceptable to god and this is your reasonable service in the 
New Living Translation, it reads this way. In the New Living, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. What is the because of all he has done for you? In the New King James Version, it reads, I beseech you, therefore. And y'all know what we say about therefore, right? There's a reason it's therefore. So if you ever see a therefore, that means I'm referring to what I just said. Well, what did he just say? Well, actually, if you read the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11 is one section, and chapters 12 through 16 is another section. He's actually turning a corner here. And he's saying, because of everything I said in chapters 1 through 11, now present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what he's saying. Well, what's chapters 1 through 11? He's laying out the plan of redemption. Go read it. Go read chapters 1 through 11. It's powerful stuff. This is the whole plan of redemption. One man sins, so we all sin. But, be, but, but by the same account, one man bought it all back. We all get that righteousness. Go read it. We don't have to live uh, uh, in, in condemnation anymore. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I mean, that's chapters 1 through 11. He's covering all that. It's good stuff. And it's the whole prerequisite for where he's going for Romans chapter 12. He says, because of everything he did for you here, this is what you can do for him here. He gave you his best sacrifice. So we ought to give him our best sacrifice. We ought to give him ours. I plead with you, verse 1 in, in, in the New Living, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. He says this is truly the way to worship him. Worship isn't singing and playing an instrument and raising our hands and clapping. It's a way to demonstrate worship. But true worship is submission. True worship is I'm laying down myself for what you have and for what you want. I am prioritizing your plan over my plan. Verse 1 in... The Amplified reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. What does that mean? Presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God which is your reasonable, rational, and intelligent service and spiritual worship. So we recognize that God is still making a demand of his people. Is still uh, There is still a requirement on us to offer a sacrifice to God, to offer something to him. And many times there is a something that we have in mind other than ourselves. What he's ultimately saying is, is the real sacrifice I want is you. See, some, we, we, we do this. Sometimes we offer God a replacement. We offer God a substitute. You ever done that with someone? 
you you couldn't meet the 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 standard they had or you couldn't meet uh, maybe the commitment that they laid out and so you in turn offer something that you hope will still meet the requirement but doesn't demand as much of you you ever done that I can't be there but I'll send something or I can't help in this manner but I can do this right and there's times where that's great you know, there's been times, you know, where we've done construction around the church and maybe we don't have the, the people, the hands to perform the work. But they'll say, you know what, I don't know how to build a wall. You tell me how much it costs and I'll write the check. It's great. Do what you can. Do what you're able. But in this place, God is very specific. In this moment, God is very specific. There's a piece that I want and there is no substitute. And there is no replacement. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see just this very predicament. With King Saul. We see just this very predicament. Starting with verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. I love how he identifies first that he says, The Lord sent me to anoint you. So basically what he's saying is, everything that follows from here, you're able to do. He's reminding you. And God's reminding you of that tonight. Whatever he's calling you or sending you out to do, he's starting off by letting you know, by the way, I've anointed you. By the way, I've empowered you. By the way, I've equipped you. So everything that follows here, it might seem too big, it might seem too great, it might seem too mighty, but just remember, I've anointed you. We've said it before, but the anointing is spiritual assistance for a spiritual assignment. Spiritual assistance for a spiritual assignment. So everything he sends you to do, he begins with the foundation, you're anointed. You're called. You're empowered. You're equipped. Right? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So he's called you. He's placed a gift on your life. He's empowered you. He's put something special. And then when he sends you, that is no time to buck and say, whoa, whoa, God, what is this? I can't do this. I can't talk like that. I can't be in front of those people. I can't run that business. I can't raise those kids. I can't do that venture. I can't go on that mission. No, you can because he anointed you. God always starts with that foundation. I anointed you. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. Notice he says, I will punish Amalek. He's taking it personal. God is. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. And all of us are like, God, why don't you let it go? That was like so long ago. God, you're bigger than this. God, you're, you, that, that was thousands of years ago. That was when the Israelites first came out of Egypt. And they were in the wilderness. 
And the Amalekites came down and oppressed them and fought them. But God's been holding on to that one for a while. God's been holding on to this one. He says, I will punish. I will, personally. I'm taken. You know, when, when, when God knows how to bring retribution for your life. God knows how to advocate for you. God, God doesn't forget. God knows that the vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God knows how to fight the battle. God knows how to overcome whatever has been overcoming you. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten how they treated you, how they talked about you, how they forgot you, how they abandoned you, how they neglected you. He hasn't forgotten. And he says, I will, I will punish Amalek personally. Now go and attack Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them. But kill both man man and woman. Infant and nursing child. Ox and sheep. Camel and donkey. So this was one of those battles where there is an, an, an absolute destruction of the enemy. Nothing to be left over. There were some battles that were fought where, where God allowed his people to take the spoils or take remnants take remainders from the battle but this was one of those that we're we're going to absolutely destroy we're going to wipe them off the planet they are going to be no more okay he says go and attack Amalek but remember this is God's personal battle this is God personally carrying out the destruction of the Amalekites because of what they did to his people so Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Talium, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to, to a city of Amalek, lay in wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel. God also remembers those that show kindness to you. And he'll make sure they get a chance to get out of the way before the destruction comes. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. It's kind of that whole, you know, the lightning bolt's about to strike, so I'm going to step over here and make sure I don't get caught up in your issue over there. They got out of the way. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Avila all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. It says he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And here it is, and were unwilling. Y'all see that, right? They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Again, as we recognize, the Amalekites were no enemy, were no threat, were no terror to King Saul and the Israelite people. In fact, they weren't even a challenge to him. Why? Because God was going to personally see to it that there would be victory. God was going to personally see to it that they would be destroyed. God was personally seeing to it that they would be wiped off the planet. 
So this was not a battle for King Saul and the Israelites to go and fight to gain victory. This is a test to see will King Saul serve his own purpose or will he serve God's purpose? That's why this whole thing was set up. He, he lets them know from the beginning. I'm ta- this, is, this is my doing. Now I'm just going to get you. I'm going to bring you into the, into the play. I'm going to bring you into the program here. I'm including you in these events because I need to see where you're at. So the real battle is not King Saul versus the Amalekites. The real battle is King Saul versus King Saul. And this is the real battle in all of our lives. You thought you were fighting all that stuff externally. You thought you were fighting all those issues and challenges and battles all around you. But God's wanting you to know that's not the real battle. I got all that stuff. That's easy. That's cake for me. That's cheese. We, we're going to go. We're going to whip that. We're going to defeat that. They can't overcome you. You're my child. I've got you protected. I'm going before you. This is not your battle. This is the Lord's. But there is a battle. How will you respond in the midst of all this? What will you do in the midst of all this? What will be your position? What will be your response? So verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, if you actually read back, even in 1 Samuel chapter 13, King Saul is already on the downfall. He's already on the trend Uh, uh, of disobeying the word of God. God has already basically moved on from him. He said, I've picked a neighbor. I've picked somebody uh, after my own heart to replace you. But God is such a God of grace and mercy. We cannot confuse time or another chance. See, we we treat the mercy of God as, as more of an opportunity to do what I want. No, what he's doing is he's giving you every chance possible, every every opportunity possible to turn back to him. That's what he wants to see. He wants to see you turn back to him. But he says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And when Samuel arose in the morning to meet Saul, It was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. But this is already cluing us in. Who do you think Saul is serving? God or himself? One of the key indicators in our life of whose will we're really serving and whose will we're really interested is just look around you. Do you have stuff that around you that is serving you? propped up for your glory? Or have you really laid down all, forsaken all to go after him? He says he's got a monument down there set up for his glory. Look at what King Saul did. Because remember, verse 2 shows us the contrast of a sacrificial life is one that is self-gratified. Do not be conformed to the world. What's that? What's that mean? Conform to the world. Notice who does the world serve? Itself. Every every person in the, it is the natural digression of life. They're, they're, you can't get away from it. 
I'm going to place my needs above others. I'm going to place what I want first and foremost, and I will do anything to get it. The world chases, and the crazy thing about it is it can never be satisfied. You can never satisfy and gratify yourself to completion. I got it. It's all I ever wanted. No, you always end up wanting more of the very thing you thought was going to satisfy you last time. And it leaves you emptier than you were before you started. It's the way of the world. So don't be conformed to the way of the world. Don't be conformed to its ideals, to its customs, to its manners, to its patterns, to its behaviors, to its what, what, what it's reaching for and striving for. He says, a, a life that is lived sacrificially to me is in direct contrast to a life that is conformed to the world. He's showing us the difference between the two. Well, King Saul is showing us the difference between the two. When you have monuments that are set up more for your glory than God's glory, we have been living for our own interests, not his. Verse 13, Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now here's the second danger. of living to your own interests is you become confused of whose commands you're really performing. I mean, talk about deception. Talk talk about absolute deception. The prophet of God, and there's no remorse. I mean, he's been desensitized in his heart, desensitized in his heart to the level that he actually thinks he's performing the will of God. And he's going in direct rebellion. He's turned away from me and from my word. I tell you what, we can live to our own self-gratification so much so that we get confused. Are we, into, are we interested in our agenda or God's agenda? And man, when that gets blurred, when that gets cloudy, who am I really serving? I mean, there's people in the world today, they think they're serving God by doing the things they're doing. They think that they are advancing the kingdom of God. Saul, not this Saul, Saul in the New Testament, thought he was advancing the kingdom of God by killing Christians. And finally, Jesus knocks him off his horse and disrupts his life and says, bro, you ain't serving me. That's not my mission. You're kicking against the goats. You're, you're pushing against the very thing that I'm trying to accomplish. But I'm going to set you on the right course, and I'm going to put you on the right path, and you are going to advance my kingdom the way I want to. And it's not going to be to your interest. It's not going to be to your gratification. It's not going to satisfy you. Paul lived the most dissatisfied life naturally. Go read his resume. It's awful. You, you don't want a tenth of what he lists. On his resume, the persecutions and the, the shipwrecks and the beatings and the being in jail and, and running for his life. And then he even ends it with all. And the worst of it was being abandoned by the very people that you invested in. I mean, everybody turned away from me. Everybody left me. Yeah, he saw it on all fronts. It was not a life that naturally he was inclined to live. So Samuel 
thinks he's performing the commandment of God. But same, or Saul thinks he's performing the commandment of God. And Samuel said in verse 14, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? Basically, he says, uh, your environment's giving you away. Everything around you is cluing, cluing us in right now that, that you are not performing the commandment of God. If you were performing the commandment of God, you wouldn't have these things in play. These, these, these things wouldn't be alive in your life. These things wouldn't be talking. I, I ministered a message years ago called, Why Are Dead Things Talking? What if we left alive in our life that God has called us to cut off and put to death, eliminate? When dead things are talking in our life, it's an indicator we've been living to our own interests. See, your, your natural man, your flesh, wants to leave dead things alive. Your, 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 your flesh loves dead stuff. Your flesh loves things that ought to be dead. That ought to be crucified. That's why I said your flesh cannot be saved. So what do you do with it? You kill it. You crucify it. Isn't that what Paul said? He said, I die daily. How many times? Every day. Some of us, three times a day. Every hour. By lunch, I needed to crucify myself again. He keeps wanting to rise up out of that grave, put him back in the grave. Remind him who's alive. The Spirit of God is alive in me, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I don't have to live being ruled by something that should be dead. Come on. Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They have. That's the third indicator. You start passing blame. You start passing blame. Yeah, when you're interested in, in, in satisfying yourself, then you have to maintain that glory by anything that goes wrong is because somebody else did it. And you start playing the victim. People that are interested in satisfying and gratifying themselves immediately become the victims of everything. Well, this wouldn't have happened if they did it. This wouldn't have taken place if they wouldn't have done that. Just start playing the victim. Everybody else is at fault except you. Isn't that amazing? Is there anything you will take blame for? Is there anything you'll take credit for? Is there anything that we can say, but that, that was my fault? No, because if I'm interested in satisfying myself, then I can't take blame for any wrong that's taking place. Right? So he immediately said, oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites, the people. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. Here it is, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The fourth thing you do is you begin to justify your actions. Now he's justifying, but we're going to sacrifice it to God. Right? So because I'm interested in satisfying myself, even the wrong things that are highlighted in my life, I have to justify why it's there. But, but I was trying to win that person to the Lord. So that's why you slept with them? <laughs> Hello? Right? There's always justification for sin. But I was trying to do this, and I was trying to accomplish that. That's what Saul's doing. Okay? You get called out. Yep, that stuff should be dead. They did it, and this is why.
They've brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. You know, and I find that so interesting in verse 8. It says that he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And then verse 9 says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the, and it goes on to list everything they left alive. I don't do well with that kind of stuff. Because I'm a type A personality. I'm black and white and utterly destroyed is either utterly destroyed or it's not utterly destroyed. (laughs) Right? But that gets us to the next point is we start to define what God's commandment was. See, Paul, or Saul, I'm sorry, King Saul, has performed his version of God's command. So now we, 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 we have blamed others, we victimized ourselves, we justify the poor actions, the poor decisions we made, and now I'm at the point of confusing what was God's agenda all along? The rest we have utterly, no, utterly destroyed is utterly destroyed. If you leave one thing breathing, there's a goat over there. It's still alive. We haven't utterly destroyed. We missed one. But we start to redefine God's terms. What does utterly destroyed really mean? I don't get to redefine God's standards. We see that today, don't we? People are redefining God's terms, redefining God's standards of love, redefining God's standard of family, redefining God's standard of of, of government, redefining God's standard of submission, redefining God's standard of grace, redefining God's standard of marriage. The marriage is on trial today. And the crazy thing about it is a slippery slope. Once you open one door, you got to open all the rest of them. I knew it wouldn't stop in 2015 with homosexual relationships. I knew that it was going to extend to where it is today. And the garbage we tolerate today only opens more doors later. It's the progression of things or the digression of things. It's the falling apart. It doesn't stay the same. We're inventing new ways to sin. Yesterday's ways of sinning aren't good enough anymore. Why? Because they don't satisfy. It leaves you empty. So I got to find a new way to sin to give me that feeling again. So we redefine things. The rest we have utterly destroyed. But at least we love each other. We're both men and we're both women, but we're in love. No, you're not. You have redefined the definition of God's love. So you don't get to redefine it based on your version of it today. And Saul's version On day two, he doesn't get to redefine utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed when God gave the command meant the same thing, and King Saul doesn't get to go in and say, well, the rest we have. This is what happens when you leave dead stuff alive. uh, Verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not a head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you 
king over Israel. He's not saying that he, he thought poorly of himself. It's that he didn't prioritize his interest over God's. That's what he means. When you thought little of your, when, 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 when your priorities weren't more important than God's priorities. When your plans and your agenda wasn't more important than God's plan and God, God's agenda. And didn't he anoint you? Didn't he empower you? Didn't he call you? Didn't he equip you? Didn't he choose you? Didn't he assign you? When, when you were placing his plan above your own and above what everybody else thought, about what everybody else wanted, when your focus was on, God, what do you want to do? You remember those days when you were just so fresh, so innocent, so small and little in your own eyes? Maybe some of you have forgotten. Maybe it's been so long ago when that, that urgency on the inside of God, I just want what you want. I met with someone recently, and 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 you know they're they're struggling, they're battling through something, and and, and I just I just asked the individual, I said, "When are you going to get to the point that you just want what God wants more than what you want? What does that really look like? What is a life where you wake up and say, God, I don't want anything else." In my, if you ask me to remove it, eliminate it, get rid of it, challenge it, question it, disturb it, disrupt it, you have access. I just want what you want. Unfortunately, the individual is too prideful to... Of course, we say, lip service, I do. But there's too much dead stuff around you. I hear bleeding of sheep, lowing of cow. and There's things alive in your life that ought to be dead. And you leave them alive to gratify you. You've built a monument to yourself. You have your interests prioritized over God's. When you were little in your own eyes. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go. And utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Evil in the sight of the Lord, it says. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed. Gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. The contrast in that statement is just appalling. The people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Now we're back to sacrifices again. This is what Samuel says. As the Lord has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. What did he idolize himself? His agenda? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you 
from being king. Because a failure to remain to submitted to God's authority causes you to forfeit your authority. Failure to remain submitted to God's authority causes you to forfeit your authority. So now King Saul is removed from his place of authority because he failed to submit to God's. Sometimes the things that we keep alive are things that are socially acceptable. Yeah, I'm not just talking about the pornography and the lusts and the passions of the world and the things that, you know, or voodoo and church. I'm, you know, some of us keep things alive, obsessions over things that in the world seem like, man, what a great person. Look how much he works. He's such a hard worker. Now you're placing your work over the Lord. Come on. See, when God says kill it, it's not up to us to debate should it live. When God says destroy it, when God says lay it down, obedience is better than sacrifice. You know the sacrifice that God wanted all along? King Saul. That's what he wanted on the altar. He wanted a living sacrifice. See, every every natural or external sacrifice that was given, that was not the end-all, be-all. Because the motivation behind the sacrifice was just as important as the sacrifice itself. The heart behind the sacrifice was just as important as what is being sacrificed. The heart determines if God has you or he just has your stuff. You're given out of obligation. You're given out of religious duty. Some of us give to get. Because I know if I don't tithe, then he won't watch over my stuff. Wrong motivation. Some of us give to check the box. Come to church to check the box. Read the Bible to check the box. Some of us pray when we need something. Right? There's all kinds of motivations from our heart. But God is ultimately saying, when, I, when you have the right motivation, that's when I get you. I mean, what do you think you have that God really needs? <laughs> right? You think God is up in heaven. Man, if I don't collect tithe this week, we're going to have to close the doors of heaven. Have to start chunking up paves of the streets paved gold. Start transferring some of this stuff. No. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So he knows to get to you, I got to go through your stuff. But the stuff isn't what he's after. He wants you. He wants you. You know, the saddest thing out of this whole passage, this, this, this story, 1 Samuel 15, and really all the life of King Saul and Samson, those two stories are, are two of the saddest stories in the whole Bible. Both men had the Spirit of God upon them. But this is the reason why those two stories stand out to me. In the natural, it looks successful. 
You know what the sad part is and, and really the, the part that gets lost in this story? Saul and the, um, and the Israelites defeated the Amalekites. They gained the victory. But it made me question, I wonder how many times we gain victories in life that look good to everybody else. But it was really a defeat on the inside because we didn't do what God asked us to do. Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock got the same result. And if we're not careful, we'll be, we'll be manipulated by the result. We'll be manipulated into thinking because I got the result, it must have been God. I got the victory. We defeated him. I utterly destroyed him. Water came out of the rock. Samson enjoyed victory after victory after victory. All while using his anointing for his own gain. His own personal gain. Tell me that's not a level of deception. He's using it to get clothes. He's using it to get women. He's using it to get status. The anointing, the strength that God gave to him. Using it for his own personal gain. And got the results. And if we're not, or if we're not careful, we will confuse results with victory. And that is the greatest level of deception we could be in. Because you are anointed. He is sending you on a mission. A mission that he's ultimately already won. A battle that he's already taken care of. The real battle is your response. The real battle is will you lay down your plan and your agenda for his? God didn't want the best of the sheep and the oxen. God didn't want King Agag left alive. God wanted King Saul left for dead. His will, his passions, his interests. He wanted King Saul to say, whatever you want. This is what the people want. This is what I want. But this is what you want. So this is what I'll carry out. Thankfully, we get a man after God's own heart. Comes in line. Young man named David from Bethlehem. He performed what God wanted. He did what God asked him to do. And when he didn't, he had the right response of repentance, the right response of falling on his face, asking for forgiveness. It's the heart. It's all about the heart. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.